Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. We're in a series that we started called Unexpected Christmas. I shared this with you last week that um, I had that feeling like when you're a kid and you're like, I have a project due tomorrow. Did you all ever have that feeling? Some of you are like, no, not not me. Well, I did a lot as a kid, okay, because I would forget my homework. And so I had, you know, about a month before this series, I was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to talk about for Christmas this year? Like, Lord, what do we do? So I prayed, and then I woke up in the middle of the night, and I just had this on the front of my mind, unexpected Christmas, unexpected Christmas. I just felt like there's something in this for us. And I want to look at the kind of the the next part of the story in Luke chapter 1. If you have a copy of scriptures, we're going to read from verse 28 through 38. I have it on the screen for you as well. We started last week talking about expecting the unexpected and how the Lord's arrival, though we kind of expected it prophetically in Scripture, it always comes unexpectedly. And so um, we're going to continue in that this morning. In verse 28, here's what it says. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign forever in the house of Jacob, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. So I've had some surprising greetings in my life. You probably have had too, right? Where it's like, oh gosh, didn't see that one coming. But just imagine Mary sitting in her house or her hut or wherever she was at, and then an angel appears And it says she's deeply troubled, right? It it was unexpected. I've never had an angelic encounter like that, but every time we see it in the scripture, this fact, this is the second time we see Gabriel in the Bible. The first time was in Daniel. And when Daniel sees Gabriel coming towards him, he falls over like he's dead, right? Like it's just like freak out when this happens. And so she has this unexpected greeting And what he communicates that was interesting, he communicates to her an unexpected favor. 
You have unexpected favor. And that's the, the title of my message today. I want to talk about the unexpected favor of God that we find in the Christmas story. Now, we might use that word in different ways, right? When you feel like you have the favor, right? You might come from a background spiritually where you, you were like, man, that person has the favor of God on their life, right? Some of you are like, we never talk that way. The favor of God. So what is the favor? This, this angel gives the greeting, and, and the angel says to her, greetings, favored woman. Favored woman. That, that word favored, it, it means to be pursued with grace. Pursued with grace, to, to be favored. And then that, that word favor is also translated simply as grace. It's, it's the same word, charis, that we use for grace. Grace and favor. And you probably know our basic definition of the word grace, which is what? His unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. Some of you, you grew up going to Sunday school and you know what G-R-A-C-E stands for, right? So, some of you know this? God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. It's this unmerited favor. It, it, it always comes to us undeserved, right? You, you don't deserve favor. It, it's something that comes to us Freely, um, I, I remember being uh, out at a restaurant, Casey and I, this was years ago, we were in San Marcos, Texas, and I was serving at a church there, there was a larger church, you know, 600, 800 people, and um, I, I would go out to, you know, we went out to dinner at this restaurant, a nice restaurant, and at the end of the meal, when you're expecting the check, they say to you, somebody paid for your ticket, and you're like, What? That is, oh my, I should have gotten more food, right? I should have ordered a whole bottle of wine, right? No, don't do that. But it's like you, you have, it's, it's like a, a grace. Or we, we, we use the word gratuity. It comes from the same thing. It's something free. At the end of the meal, you're going to give them something. It's a gift. It's, it's a grace. It's gratuity. It's undeserved. You, you did nothing to earn it. It's unmerited favor. And the angel says, greetings, favored woman. Do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. It's unexpected favor. Here's my first point for us this morning. If you're a note taker, it's this. In a graceless world, grace always catches us by surprise. You probably know that. Right? In a graceless world, grace always catches us by surprise. I, uh, I read a book called What's So Amazing About Grace. It's by Philip Yancey, and he, he shares this story of, uh, of a British conference on comparative religions, and experts from around the world were debating what, if any belief, was unique to the Christian faith. They began eliminating possibilities like the Incarnation, other religions have different versions of God's appearing in human form. The resurrection of Jesus. Again, other religions had accounts of, of return from death. The debate went on for some time until a man by the name of C.S. Lewis wandered into the room 
And he said, what's the rumpus about? And uh, his colleagues replied that they were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among the world religions. And Lewis responds this way, oh, that's easy. It's grace. After some discussion, the conferees had to agree. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of our humanity. The Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, and Muslim code of law, each of these offers a way for the believer to earn approval, but only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional, unmerited, unexpectedly free. It's unexpected favor, and it always catches us by surprise. I, I found this quote by Gordon McDonald, and here's what he said, and this is kind of a, at first you're kind of like, ah, but then you're like, okay, I, I see what you're saying. Here's what he said, the world can do almost anything as well or better than the church. You need not be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry, or heal the sick. There's only one thing the world cannot do, it cannot offer grace. Tertullian, he uh, was a church father that lived uh, 155 to 240 AD. So, you know, just, you know, a little more than 100 years after Christ walks the earth, this man's born. And he had this to say that just as Jesus was crucified between two thieves, so the gospel is ever crucified between two errors. And here are the two errors that he talked about. The first was legalism. Legalism is earning. It's going, I'm going to earn God's approval. I'm going to show him that I'm good enough. And if I mess up, I'm going to beat myself up so bad that my beating of myself will like turn his ear towards me and he'll see, man, he's really devout. That's legalism. The other error was license, or what we might call lawlessness. Here's the thing about lawlessness. You know, in the, it says in the last days, the man of lawlessness will come. He's talking about the Antichrist. And here's why I think he's called the man of lawlessness, is that there's no need for grace when there's no law. There's a, a version of parenting that's become popular in kind of my generation of what's called a needs-based parenting, where if your child acts up, it's like they need something that we haven't given to them. And so you're like, what, what do they need? Oh, they need more encouragement. They need more love. They need more hugs. They need more hot cocoa in the morning or whatever it is. Like you come up with something of like why they're acting out and they're acting out just, just so you know, they're acting out because they're sinful human beings just like us. And the apple didn't fall too far from the tree. Amen? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so what happens is that we don't give them law. Paul said the law was given through Moses, right? The law came and it's good. It's not bad. Law, all it does is says, hey, you've messed up. And it sets the stage for what? 
grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So when we tell someone, hey, this is, this is the standard, and they're like, rebel against the standard, like what standard? Who are you to tell me what the standard is, right? That's, that's lawlessness to say there's no law, there's no right, there's no wrong, live your own truth. That's lawlessness. And what it does is it, it uh, inoculates you against the need for grace because you're like, what sin? What God? What standard? I don't need grace. In both legalism and lawlessness are self-focused. They're man-centered. Legalism misses grace for want of fairness. But lawlessness misses grace for want of freedom. Both look proudly at grace and say, we don't need you here. Legalism says, do what is right and all will be all right. Lawlessness says, who are you to say what is right? Legalism focuses on earning by achieving the certain standard when lawlessness focuses on defining its own standard. And both are doomed to frustration and futility. In their pursuit of themselves, they cannot escape themselves. And here's the thing, is that in our hearts, there is a constant like ping pong match going on between legalism and lawlessness. Because in one moment, you can think, man, I got to get my act together. And in the next moment, you're like, oh, who cares? (laughs) Right? In one moment, you're honking at the person in front of you who's on their phone and the light is green and it has been green for at least 10 seconds and they haven't moved yet. And you're like, Aah. and then at the next stoplight, you're like, your phone dings and you're like, oh yeah, let's check that out, right? And then, and then people are honking at you, you're like, oh my gosh, right? It's like, you know, we, we went from a legalist to like, totally, like who cares, right? In, in like within less than a mile. And this is, the, this is the thing that's going on inside of us constantly. Of we're, we're kind of vacillating between these two errors of legalism and lawlessness. And it's into this self-focused interior activity that grace comes to us unexpectedly. In fact, it's the reason why grace is always so surprising. Be, because the human heart is, is always going between these two things, grace always comes to us unexpectedly. It surprises us. And here's the question I just want to consider this morning, is that if grace is the distinguishing mark of Christianity, is it the distinguishing mark of your life? Do people look at you and they think, what a gracious person? It's the question. So I want us to consider this unexpected favor in the story. Now, here's the thing. When the angel gives this greeting and says, greetings, favored woman, that word favored is only used in one other place in the entire Bible, and it's in Ephesians chapter 1, and it's verse 3 through 6. And I just want to read this so you can see where else this word is used. And it says, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Isn't that good? For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I don't know what that means. To be holy and blameless in love before him. 
He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself. Get this, according to the good pleasure of his glorious grace, or the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, that he, get this, here's the, here's the word favored, the grace that he lavished on us. That's where that word is used. His grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Who's the beloved one? Jesus, right? His glorious grace that he lavished on you. He's favored, that's the same word, favored. So here's, here's the point, is that Paul takes the greeting of the angel, greetings, hail Mary. That's where that prayer comes from. Favored. Favored one. And Paul takes that very word and he says, in Jesus Christ, that applies to you if you believe in him. If you're in the beloved one, here's the greeting of heaven to you. Favored one. Wow. Favored one. Here's the second point. The unexpected uh, unexpected favor of God is rooted in who he is and not how we perform. Let me say that again. The unexpected favor of God is rooted in who he is and not how we perform. So here's the thing about Mary is that um, we don't know a whole lot about Mary. We, We don't have like the whole backstory in the scripture that says like, here's where she was born. Here's how old she was. Here's what she was into. Here's what she did, good and bad. It's like, we have none of that. We, we don't know. And all we do know is that she was a teenage girl who was betrothed to a guy named Joseph who was in the line of David and just happened to be living in Galilee when Gabriel comes in and gives her this unexpected greeting of unexpected favor. And I think that in church history, there's been sort of this elevating of Mary of like, she must have been sinless and perfect and just like almost like like here's God the Father and Jesus and the Spirit and she's like she's there she's close right the thing is that misses the whole point of what this is about it wasn't about Mary's performance or her sinlessness it was about the favor of God that is always unmerited because grace is first a quality in the heart of God. It doesn't depend on what we do for him, but it depends completely on what he's done for us. It's who he is. There's a story in the Old Testament of Moses, and Moses had found favor. That's the phrase that's used. And he finds favor, and so because he's found favor, he says, I want more favor. Can I see your glory? That's what he asked for, right? That's, that's a bold request. God, can I see your glory? And God grants him the request, and he says, I want you to come up on the mountain. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to put my hand over you. And he says he passes by him, and it says the Lord passed in front of him, and here's what the Lord proclaims. The Lord, the Lord is, get this, compassionate and gracious, 
God's proclaiming his character, his nature over Moses. He's compassionate and gracious, right? Slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that Jesus has come living. The fullness of deity dwelling in flesh is the God of all grace and mercy, who's slow to anger and abounding in love. And the coming of Christ signals this favor, undeserved, unmerited favor. It's not a concession. It's his character. Uh, I was thinking about a time in life where I felt like I had favor. Have you ever felt like you had the favor? Like in your workplace, maybe it's like you were the favorite of the boss, or like the boss really liked you. Some of you as kids were the teacher's favorite, right? Like you were the one that was right next to their desk. Joel's shaking his head like, that was not me, right? That was not me. That probably wasn't me either. I do remember in kindergarten, I think I bit some kid and like beat them up on the playground. And yet the teacher just liked me for whatever reason and kind of like, maybe the other kid was like super annoying, I don't know, but. I still felt like I had favor in the midst of all that. But, you know, when you have favor, when you feel like you have favor, um, you kind of walk a little differently. If you're in the workplace and you feel like, like I'm good with the boss, we have each other's back, like we're, we're, we're good, like I have favor. It's like you walk into a meeting a little bit differently. There's less fear. You're not so anxious about what's about to happen. You're not like in fight or flight mode, like ready to beat somebody up who's gonna come at you at the staff meeting, right? You know, because you have favor. You're, you're at ease. You might even say you have peace. That's what the favor of God does when you're like, no matter what's happening right here, through the finished work of Jesus and the unmerited favor that he's brought, we're good. I'm, I'm good with him, and he's good with me, not because of my performance, because I still blow it all the time, but because of his love and his character and the finished work of his son, Jesus, that was perfect on my behalf. Don't be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid. You've found favor with God. It's good news when you've been trapped by legalism. When your heart just keeps going back to earning and you're like, gosh, I just, I, I either feel like I'm on top of the world or I feel like I'm totally down in the gutter and I'm just like back and forth because I just, I feel like I'm doing good and then I just blow it and I'm just on the roller coaster. When you're there, it's like you need to hear again it's rooted in who he is and not your performance. Or maybe you're the person who's like, forget it. And you went back to your old life of sin and you're like, now where was I, right? And you pick right back up and you blow yourself up again. And you need to hear this. The favor of God comes not because of your performance, but because of who he is. The third point I have for you is this. The unexpected favor of God is his provision for our weaknesses. 
his provision for our weaknesses. There's, there's a song that we call the Magnificat and, and Mary goes on to sing this song. It's a song of praise. It starts in verse 46 and it says, Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of God. She magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Get this, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant, the humble condition of his servant. That God looks with favor on her humble uh, condition. There's this kind of this phrase that's repeated three times in the Bible, once in the Old Testament, twice in the New Testament. It says this, God opposes the proud. It's like he's like a stone wall. It's like, no, he opposes the proud. But it, it says this, he gives grace to the humble, to the humble. Paul experienced this. Paul had a, a thing called a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was. Some think maybe it was a, a sin issue. Some think that it was probably like a physical ailment, right? He had, he had bad eyesight because he said, see what large letters I write with? And he's, you know, he can't see very good. So he's writing with large letters on these, these scrolls, these letters that he's sending to the churches, and so some think, you know, he had this physical ailment. And so Paul's healing people, right? They're touching him and he's healing him as, as they're sharing the gospel. But Paul's going blind. Can't heal himself. He's got a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that was, but those are some ideas. And, and, and he pleads with the Lord three times to take it away. Like, come on, God. Seriously? Please. And then we have this verse, and you, you know it, I'm sure. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace, caris favor, is sufficient for you. For my power is, get this, perfected in weakness. My power is perfected in weakness. And here's the thing, it's our lowliness that attracts the favor of God. Because legalism and lawlessness say to grace proudly, we don't need you here. We've got this. God says, no, you don't. And if you could just recognize your humble condition, it's like the, the magnet of God's favor or lowliness. It's interesting how Paul talks about Grace, if you want to just do a study, just look up the word grace and just look at all the places that Paul talks about this. But here's one of the ways he talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. It says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, get this, I worked harder than any of them. Talking about the other apostles or super apostles, whatever. It says, but yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And here's what he's saying. He's like, look, in my weakness, I'm astonished at what I've been able to accomplish. I worked harder than all these other super apostle people, but it wasn't me. Here's the crazy thing. It was God in me. It was grace. It was like this force of God, the energy, the working of his power inside of us in the midst of not our strengths, not our natural abilities and our talents, in the midst of our weaknesses. 
in the low places, we find the grace of God coming to us. In fact, the spiritual gifts that we studied recently are called grace gifts. Charis, grace, mata. And they come to us because we shouldn't be able to do that stuff. I don't have that power. He does. And it's graced me. It's with me. And it's in me. It's a provision for my weakness. I mean, consider Mary. In her body, she would carry the one in whom the fullness of the deity dwelt in his body. Like, that's, that's a crazy thought. She would raise in her home the one who would raise the dead and then raise from the dead himself. There's a moment where um, someone who has maybe idolized Mary calls out after Jesus' teaching, and this is in Luke chapter 11, blessed is the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you. And Jesus sees what's happening here and immediately hears how he responds. Rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Mary recognized her humble condition, her lowly condition, and she just believed God's word to her. She knew this favor was a provision not for her strength, but her weakness. And that's good news. That's good news if you've been stuck in legalism and you know you don't have the power or when you are stuck in lawlessness and you feel completely powerless because you've just wrecked everything. The surprise of grace to our legalistic hearts is that it always comes undeserved. It's always unfair. And the surprise of grace to our lawless hearts is that it never abandons God's commands, but it actually fulfills them for us when we couldn't. It's truly unexpected favor. So let's go back to the question that we started with and we'll land this. Here's the question. If grace is the distinguishing mark of Christianity, is it the distinguishing mark of your life? Are you the scorekeeper? Are you, as Hebrews 12 talks about, see that no one misses the grace of God and a bitter root springs up to defile many? Are, are you bitter inside? Does the weakness of other people repel you? Are you beating yourself up hoping it's enough to appease God? Or do you shrug at his commands? Has your conscience been hardened by sin's deceitfulness where you don't even feel it anymore? Can you receive God's discipline as a kindness of a loving father? Does grace mark your life? If not, and if you're like me, and you're constantly back and forth, <laughs> You probably know by now that you can't legalistically make yourself more gracious. It doesn't work that way, apparently. 
And you can't come become more gracious by just glossing over your sins and sweeping them under the rug. It doesn't work that way either. So what can we do to be marked by the grace of God? Well, I just want to take a note from a Galilean teenage girl named Mary, and, and here's what she says in verse 38. She said this, See, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be done to me according to your word. That word servant, by the way, is doula. Like we would, uh, ladies, is that like the, is that the name? Am I thinking of that right? A person like works with a midwife or whatever, a doula. It's a female servant, a bond servant. She says to God, I'm your servant. I, I lower myself before you. I'm just your servant. She humbles herself before God. And here's the thing about humility. It's just, it's just seeing things as they really are, right? That's what humility is. Pride is like a puffed up thing. But when you see things clearly, that's called humility. And she recognizes her lowly condition. In our graceless world that's enamored with our strengths, God calls us to humble ourselves because he gives grace to the humble. The second thing we see is that she believes, and she says, may it happen to me according to your word. And maybe some of you, 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 you've heard the message of grace so many times that you don't even believe it anymore. I just, here's what I wanna say to you. Just repeat this in your heart to him. May it be done to me according to your word. May it be done to me according to your word. May it be done to me according to your word. We're saved by grace through faith, believing. So today, don't we need the unexpected favor of God? Here's what I want to call us to, is if we could just humble ourselves and believe. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.